Hello and welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello. Hello. Coming up on today's show, Justin Bieber's strange defence of Chris Brown, the Sports Illustrated shoot that sparked quite a conversation in our Facebook group, and the proliferation of cancel culture. Why don't we ever let people muck up without demanding they die? First, Michelle, how was your week? It was an extraordinarily busy week. What did we do? We went to the Post Malone concert with <laughs> the did. Mecca Land. We've got Mecca Land in a couple of weeks and we went with the Mecca team. Yeah. Bit of a bonding session. It was so much fun. What else did we do? We saw him actually uh, chug a shoey on stage. And smoke a joint on stage, I'm fairly sure too. Yeah, which apparently the young people now call a jozza. <laughs> I didn't know this. <laughs> My cousin was at the concert the night before we went and I messaged her and I said, how was it? And she said, he did a jozza on stage. And I turned to you and I said, what the fuck is a jozza? Sounds like a breakdancing move. I felt like an idiot. He did a jozza on stage. <laughs> what else? We then hosted an event at Sports Girl at Chadston with yeah. the Kick Girls, which was awesome. Had so much fun there. And we went to the RCD Foundation launch for 2019. Yeah, so Connor's run uh, runs every year with, with the RCD Foundation. And this year we are ambassadors for that run. What we will be doing for you guys is we're putting together a shameless team. So if anyone wants to come and run with us, and when I say come and run with us, I'm in shock and struggle. For 9.6 kilometres. We're going to do the shorter run. There is two, but we're definitely <laughs> doing the shorter one. We will put some details in the Facebook group when the team is up and ready and raring to go. So please keep an eye out for updates. We would love for you guys to come down um, and run with us and support the cause, which is working to help fund research for paediatric brain cancer. Yeah, we will shamelessly be the slowest team there. We'll be there and we'll be raising money and we'll be stoked about it. <laughs> what about your week? Um, look, my week was that. All of you just... <gasps> Wait, I'm not even going to let you talk about your week. I'm not allowed to talk about it. There's literally nothing else to say. You've spent a large portion of this week pining for a man by the name of Tommy Little. Absolutely not true. <laughs> what are you doing? You have. Well, you are single. I don't think we've actually broached that on the yeah. podcast before. You are now single. And Tommy Little has taken your fancy. Oh, yeah. He came up on an ad for The Bachelor and I said, oh, yeah, I would date Tommy Little. Well, I okay. think it's now my personal mission. I think <laughs> we need to like, get your... This is my worst nightmare right now. We need to get you in front of Tommy Little somehow in the least creepy way. Maybe we need the listeners to just like tag Tommy on our Instagram post. No, we should aim higher. Why didn't we go for Brad Pitt or something? <laughs> No, I'm Tommy might be listening to this. He's You've just told him that not. you love him, and can now you you're actually saying, "Stop!" Can we get into the show? Um, I just to the listeners before we get into it. If you love Tommy Little, can you tag him oh my in God, the Michelle, latest be- shameless post? And he, listen, Zara, will start to think, "Why is everyone tagging me in this shameless podcast Instagram page?" He might listen to the latest episode, realize that you're in love with him, and that you're meant to be. <laughs> Let's get into the show. Tommy Little for Zara. I feel sick. My, actually, my <laughs> hands are clammy right now. Anyway, I am single, and I'm going to be single for a while because being single is all about finding yourself. You look very shiny and red because been, <laughs> you are perspiring just at the thought of this. He's in radio, you're in podcasting. Do it's you a match have made any recommendations pe- this week, Michelle? Uh, yeah, Tommy Little. Apart from Tommy Little and you dating, I do want to recommend a story written by our good friend Sophie Aubrey, actually. Oh, it was a brilliant story. I put this on our Instagram stories this week. Some of you might have seen it. We also put it in the, the newsletter. Mm. Sophie is the homepage editor at The Age um, down in Melbourne. And Sophie wrote this really beautiful piece after going to Sri Lanka on her honeymoon when the bombings went off. Yeah, in Colombo. Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautifully written, poignant piece. Please do go read it. We'll put it in the show notes today as yeah, well. Yeah, I would also recommend that. Great. Okay, but on to the first segment today and let's start with the thing that people couldn't stop trying to post about, A, in the Facebook group. We had to only let one of them through, but there was like 20 people oh, trying to post about it. So many. And the post that 
kind of garnered the most amount of tension, which was all about Justin Bieber's rogue Insta activity. Yeah, old mate Justin decided that it was his civic duty, I guess, to jump to the defence of Chris Brown on Instagram in a meme that nobody asked for nor really wanted. No, they didn't want it and they didn't ask for it. Yeah, so if you missed it, I'll give you a visual or you could just go onto Justin Bieber's Instagram profile while I talk about it. Basically... Justin Bieber had a little image of Michael Jackson next to a little image of Tupac next to a little image of Chris Brown and basically said Chris Brown is like the amalgamation of both former men and that he should be recognized as a king and the fact that we don't recognize Chris Brown as a king is an indictment on all of us. To our detriment. Yeah, exactly. We're all idiots apparently for not seeing Chris Brown for the legend that he is. The caption read, Everyone wants to wait till people die to give them the credit they deserve. I'm calling it now. When CB, Chris Brown, passes after a long, full life, you will miss what you had in front of you the whole time. Trust me. Watch and you will see. The people who have overlooked this man's talent because of a mistake he made, you need to reevaluate! Exclamation mark. Love you at Chris Brown Official. There's something quite Kanye about this. Oh, yeah. This kind of godlike complex where it's pointing out something that the entire world can't see, I can see, you just wait. Like there is this incredible holier-than-thou attitude. I mean, that's not nearly the most important point about this post, but it's the first thing I thought of. No, you're right, 100%. I didn't even make that connection, but you're right. Even the way he writes, the rambling style, the proselytizing of everything that he thinks, it sounds a lot like Kanye West's prose, doesn't it? I don't think, though, we can possibly downplay how influential these kinds of sweeping statements are. Mm -hmm. I don't think we can put this Instagram to the side and say, well, that's just Justin's opinion and it doesn't matter. I think people feel very conflicted about Chris Brown and people generally like his music. I find his music very catchy, Mm. okay? And people people want to be given permission to listen to it. They want to be excused from a narrative that says they're endorsing an abuser if they listen to the music. I think if people see something like this that says Chris Brown is a man who's made a mistake and I think we should focus on the fact he's just used singular mistake, not plural, then I think people will use it to their advantage and say, okay, maybe he is a man reformed. Yeah, and I think it's a mistake literally to hijack the word mistake in this case. For those unaware, the rap sheet against Chris Brown is that he pleaded guilty to felony assault of Rihanna in 2009. He received 180 days probation for that. In 2017, he received a five-year-long restraining order from his ex-girlfriend. And then earlier this year, he was accused of rape in a Paris hotel room. So it's it's not it's not just one mistake here. We're talking a, a rap sheet that extends over years that and years. That spans a decade. Exactly. And I'm interested in the framing of this stuff as a mistake. At what point does it become more than a mistake? At what point do these decisions become a fundamental part of who you are? or your personality or what you put out into the world. I don't like this idea that just because the Rihanna abuse was so long ago that we can blindly support him now. Yeah, it's interesting that you kind of gravitated towards that argument because all I can't stop thinking about is the fact that so many men feel the need to protect other men. I really want to know what is it about Justin Bieber where he's sitting at home on his iPhone thinking, I need to protect Chris Brown. I need to make sure that Chris Brown is considered a legend and a hero across society. What is it about him? Considering Chris Brown has the history that he does, the history of violence against women that he does, the very, very murky past, what is it in Justin Bieber that says 
he's the guy I need to protect. Not the women that he's been accused of assaulting, not the survivors of rape or domestic assault. Chris Brown is the one that deserves my attention and my public adoration. And it's not just Chris Brown either. In the comment section on this post, he got so much support from other male artists, not any females, shock horror. Sean Kingston, Marlon Wayans, Jay Bolvin and The Game all came to his defense saying, great work, good job, Chris Brown is a legend, let's support him. On top of this, like another layer again, the fact that he compared Chris Brown to Michael Jackson and Tupac. They're both men with very, very murky pasts. We've spoken about Michael Jackson's past before. Tupac was convicted of raping a woman along with his entourage in 1995. He was found guilty of first-degree sexual abuse and he served nine months in jail for that. Why do we have to label these men as kings? What is it about our society where we go, these men did wrong and we have to protect them at all costs? I think it's fear. I think for Justin Bieber and men like Justin Bieber, it's fear that if they put a foot wrong or do something that the world deems them abusive or disrespectful of women, that they will have other men that come to their defense. I do think there's this sense that if I don't defend these men, what happens if I end up in the same same position? I don't think it's as sort of literal as that, or I don't think his thought process maybe is as linear as that, but I think there's a subconscious sense that they need to protect each other because any of them could find themselves in this scenario, which is blatantly untrue. It's not, it's like that idea after me too, when old crusty white guys in the media <laughs> industry said that they didn't want to mentor young women because what if their advances were misconstrued? Mm. It's, it's not like that. I think you're either an abuser or you're not. It's not like this muddied water where it's hard to tell. But for me, the first thing I could think of was fear. Yeah. The funny thing about the whole mistake narrative as well, it's kind of implying that Chris Brown woke up one day and completely out of the ordinary decided to punch Rihanna in the face as if that is an out of the blue, nothing leading up to that incident. Whereas we know domestic violence is often a number of like little microaggressions, even Mm. little incidents that build up to a violent incident. It's not like Chris Brown just woke up one morning and decided to punch Rihanna and is not a violent person outside of that. I think the whole outline of mistake means that it's totally outside of his character when he's proven it's not outside of his character. It's It's a fundamental part of his character. Yeah, well, apparently. Because he's not reforming. And I think we should always encourage reform um, in these sort of scenarios. But if you've got form, what do you do with that? The comparison to Michael Jackson is an interesting one in a climate where people are questioning their allegiance and blind adoration of him in particular. I actually think we're coming into a time where people are struggling to separate the art from the artist. I think we were able to do it from some time, but I don't think we can do it much anymore. And I don't think that's a bad thing. People might disagree with me and maybe I'm being overly simplistic about this and overly optimistic about this, but I do think being in the public eye doesn't mean you can be whoever you want to be. I think you are maybe unwittingly or unwillingly a role model. And if you can't hack that, then you shouldn't be celebrated or endorsed or supported. Yeah. And I mean, again, we've covered this. I think we did it months ago though. So for new listeners who might be listening to this and saying, well, Chris Brown has a right to work. We're not saying he doesn't have a right to work. Chris Brown has a right to do whatever he wants in the employment space. Go ahead, write music if you want to write music. Chris Brown doesn't have a right to be labeled a legend and a hero, though. He doesn't have the right to have a huge public platform. That is a privilege, not a right. And not everyone deserves that privilege, especially him. Thank you, next bitch. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. Every week we give you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. Zara McDonald. 
Michelle, you're taking it away. I'm just like fiddling with my notes on the fly. I'll sit my kombucha while you do that. (laughs) It's all a very relaxed (laughs) setup today. No, I'm kidding. My first story, Blake Lively is pregnant, expecting baby number three with Ryan Reynolds. That is from E! Online. Amazing. Love her. I love that she announced this just by walking a red carpet. No one knew that Blake Lively was pregnant and she's pretty heavily pregnant by the looks of her belly. So I just, I really admire this couple. I know that some of it would be for show and that they've got the whole couple goals tag because they do put out this persona of being the blissful, funny, jovial couple. But I do love it. I think it's innocent fun. Do you think there's a little bit of Chris Pratt and Anna Faris to this, though? And I know that Anna Faris has spoken in hindsight about her relationship with Chris Pratt and how they were almost publicly performative in their love and affection of each other. And she said that was to their downfall because everybody thought they were perfect and they weren't. I always just get a bit nervous when when relationships seem so perfect because the fall is so much greater. Maybe. I don't know. I think they're just genuinely funny people. So it's easy for them to have this public banter when they don't really give the public anything else. They're very, very private individuals. On the privacy thing, I did want to bring up a quote that I loved from Blake Lively. This was a while ago. She actually said this to Marie Claire. You can- Mari? Marie? <laughs> We're back here. We haven't been here in Is ages. Is it Marie Claire? I'm not telling you. It's Marie Claire. Ooh, okay. it's absolutely not. It's not Marie Claire. <laughs> it's Marie Claire. No, it's not. <laughs> no, don't wait. We're going to cut this out. You Michelle, told me it was Marie Claire. No, I didn't. How many listeners who have been here from the start will be pissing themselves about this. Michelle's inability how, to pronounce okay, Marie Claire. Before I give this quote, how can we figure out a way where I can remember this in the future? I don't understand how this is suddenly my no, responsibility. you need to give me like a coping strategy every time I come across this publication title. It's a big publication. How do I remember that's Mari? How do I do that? I don't know. Can you read the quote though? Oh, I feel triggered now. I feel like I need to take a bath or something. No. Okay. The quote that she gave Marie Claire UK was, my husband and I chose a profession and a side effect of that is your personal life is public. Our children haven't had the opportunity to choose whether or not they want their personal life to be public or not. So in order to give our daughter as much normality as possible, we want her to have a childhood like we had. Love that. I think that's so responsible and so self-aware to say this little person might not want their name and their face and their life strewn all over the media we need to make a choice that's in her best interest and while we're public figures and we profit from that she doesn't I wonder how much they can actually achieve with that idea like it's one thing to have the idea saying I want to keep this child as private as possible I'm really intrigued as to how much we let that happen well do you know much about their kids no not at all exactly I think it's pretty successful so far the only name I do know from Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds is that they called their daughter James Yeah, okay, I do remember that now. But other than that, we kind of know nothing else. So props to them. Number two, top supermodel, Erin Heatherton, virtually penniless. That is from news.com.au. I made you put this one in. I just find this super interesting. So do I. So Erin Heatherton, you guys might remember from Victoria's Secret. She also dated Leonardo DiCaprio at some point, like every other model in Hollywood. (laughs) Like me, like you. (laughs) No, but she was one of the main Victoria's Secret angels for a really long time. She's got a very recognizable face. If you guys Google her while we talk or look her up on Instagram, you'll definitely recognize her. She was one of the world's top supermodels for quite a while, and now she's filed for bankruptcy. And not just bankruptcy, like she is hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. So in this, article, debt yeah. this article from news.com went into incredible depth and detail about where the debt is and how much it is. And she, there is debt everywhere yeah. from credit cards. It does make you wonder the kind of lifestyles that these people are leading 
where it's almost all an illusion. Absolutely. And I think in the past year or two, she's only made a couple thousand dollars. It just goes to show the industry can be glittery and glamorous and amazing when you're at your peak. But as soon as you start to plateau or slip down, it really fucks you over. And I'm, I'm not saying that happens to everyone. I do think definitely that Erin Heatherton has probably been a little bit reckless with her money if she's now bankrupt after having really high earning potential for quite a while. But it just goes to show you might have a really sharp rise and an equally sharp fall. Well, it's a fickle industry and it also does make me wonder how easy it is to get addicted to a lifestyle that you can't maintain forever. Especially if you're a model and you're expected to wear designer stuff all the time, you're expected to live and stay when you're traveling the world in the nicest apartments and hotel rooms and whatever it is then pretty precarious when that money's not coming in as much as it once was. Yeah, completely. And number three, it was good for three weeks and then he told me he didn't love me. Bachelor in Paradise's Alex Nation reveals what really happened with ex-Bill Goldsmith after the show, after he refused to appear in the reunion episode. That is from Daily Mail Australia. I think we knew about this spoiler for a while, as in you and I did. I think a lot of people did. I think everybody was pretty well across the fact that Alex and Bill were not together. From what I can hear, Bill has been going all over Melbourne and telling everyone that this didn't work out so it feels like they're not on the best of terms I'm not overly surprised that it didn't last no so there were those initial pap photos of Alex and Bill that were leaked leaked (laughs) um so sassy after the show where they were in the dog park of course making out and then all the paparazzos or paparazzi hang out what the Melbourne random paran dog park (laughs) yeah they're just waiting there a hot spot for (laughs) ex-bachelor contestant (laughs) to walk on through such a hard life Um, no one was surprised. I think because after those pictures were published, we didn't hear from them or see them around after that. So everybody kind of guessed that, that they weren't together. Are people upset? I don't know if people ever really dug the relationship because of how Bill was with Flo and Alex on the show. So I don't think there are too many other broken hearts about it. And I also think now that all these people are so prolific on social media, we almost already know. We don't even need the reveal or the final episode because you can, you can tell by everyone's social media yeah. behavior who is and isn't together. So it's very anticlimactic now because it's obvious the answer is often right there in your face. Completely. Number four, Sophie Turner and Joe Jonas get married in Las Vegas after the Billboard Music Awards. That is from L. Tell me why I should care. Did you see the videos and photos of this? No. They, they got <laughs> married in a random Las Vegas little chapel and there were people taking photos and filming it to the point where everybody thought it was a joke because how could they possibly be getting married after the Billboard Awards at the most random time in Las Vegas? But they did get married. That's slightly – I slightly care about that. Yeah. Celebrities are just like us, Michelle. Why are the Jonas Brothers everywhere right now? Do you reckon they timed these marriages to coincide with their new album? They're just all over the media. There's something interesting about it for sure because it's it's all – it's all come to fruition at exactly the same time. I mean, I'm, I don't think that they're going to think to themselves, all right, let's plan our wedding here. Actually, you know what? They might have. <laughs> yeah, I just find it a little bit curious given we heard nothing about the Jonas Brothers for such a long time. All of a sudden they're releasing an album. They're all getting married in these extravagant weddings and they are all over the press. Or if not extravagant weddings, headline-making weddings at the very least. So Yeah, I mean... Are we that cynical where we think they've both gotten married to other celebrities out of a publicity stunt? I don't think it's a publicity stunt. I think it's just the knowledge that timing things in a certain way can be helpful for work. And making those things very, very public and very visible. Exactly. Number five, 
Prince Harry. Oh, Sarah, <laughs> what the fuck? Prince Harry to visit Amsterdam just days oh after Meghan Markle is expected to give birth. That is from Metro. Is this your way of acknowledging that, yes, in fact, you were wrong last week? No, when no, you no. You said that Meghan Markle had given birth I to still, her baby. I still think she's given oh, birth. Zara, you're an idiot. No, she hasn't. <laughs> okay. They've already come out and said that when she goes into labor, the public will be notified. Okay. Why is Prince Harry going to Amsterdam? I don't. To They've smoke been, some joints? No, with- no, no. He's going to Amsterdam for the Invictus Games, the palace announced very recently. And everyone thought, well, maybe they're announcing that he's going to Amsterdam because the baby's already born and he doesn't need to be around in case of labor. To be honest, I understand I'm backing a losing horse here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just stupidly stubborn and refuse to acknowledge that I'm wrong until I'm proved wrong. As an aside, do we think that they would let royalty smoke marijuana in Amsterdam? It is legal, but like... Is that something they'd allow royal family members to do? I think they can do what they want. Like a, what are they called? A space cake. Do you reckon Prince Harry'd be having a space cake I over there? I think Prince Harry's had many space cakes <laughs> in his time. <laughs> Just between you and I. <laughs> and that is all for the quick and dirty today. Great. Thanks so much for finishing on a royal story. I appreciate <laughs> it. annoyed. To be honest, the space cakes thing made it okay. <laughs> oh, you're so welcome. This week, it was James Charles. Before that, it was Taylor Swift and Kanye West and Lena Dunham and Katy Perry and perhaps everyone else in Hollywood. We're talking cancel culture today, also known as our propensity to declare something or someone certifiably cancelled when they fuck up. It's becoming pervasive, inescapable and very dangerous. Mish, walk me through cancel culture and your feelings around it in 2019. Uh, My feelings around it is that I hate it. I think cancel culture is very damaging and a little bit toxic, to be honest. I think you summed it up really well, first of all. There was also an article in the New York Times that called it a cultural boycott. Mm. So they spoke to Lisa Nakamura, who's a professor at University of Michigan, who studies the intersection of digital media, race, gender, sexuality, and of course now cancel culture because it is so prevalent. And she said it's an agreement not to amplify, signal boost, give money to. People talk about the attention economy. When you deprive someone of your attention, you're depriving them of a livelihood. And I agree with her. I think that is cancel culture, but I also think it goes beyond on that it's actually giving someone a whole raft of hate well it's more refusing to acknowledge that they're even legitimate Mm. or worthy and Mm. i think you're right it does go beyond money there is some brilliant reading out there about council culture like there are some amazing opinion pieces and thought pieces and think pieces around this kind of idea i think for me the language around council culture frustrates me the most first and foremost either you're in or you're out and there's no coming back and i think it's an absolute in a world full of shades of gray and for that reason i don't see how it's helpful or meaningful and productive for us to reduce people to either cancelled or not cancelled when the world is full of so much more nuance than that yeah well i think it is reductive which is what so much social media content these days is you guys might have seen this around because it's definitely prevalent on twitter i would say it's the most Mm. prevalent on twitter in that a lot of young people a lot of gen zetters in particular are posting lists literal lists of names of people that are cancelled in 2019 or 2018 and it's celebrities it's celebrities and it's internet influencers and internet stars so someone who has been cancelled lately like you said is james charles that's because he posted a whole range of content about an ex-boyfriend. The ex-boyfriend doesn't have a big profile and James is supposedly cancelled because he, I guess, incited a whole lot of hate against this other guy and people are very cautious now of uh, sending your followers after someone to abuse them and attack them and send vitriol basically their way. So he's now cancelled. 
I totally understand holding people to account. I totally understand calling out James Charles for that kind of behavior. But I agree with you when we're talking about canceling someone, we are so absolute. And I think it's kind of a little bit sickening that we are so hopelessly totalic in 2019 in that if a person says one thing without thinking, if they post something that we don't like where the optics might be bad and the message might be not clear or messy, we just slam them. We've almost completely lost the ability to look at any kind of nuance and give anyone the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's where I'm coming to this now. I'm seeing a lot online, sometimes in our Facebook group, even with a lot of posts that we don't approve because we don't approve heaps of them if we feel like they violate our community guidelines, just not giving people the benefit of the doubt and assuming the worst in everyone. It's such a negative outlook on the world. I want to actually look at the word cancel and where it actually came from from a second, because in that New York Times piece, I actually read the same story as you. And the writer interviewed um, a TV writer called Jason Richards, who in a 2016 episode of the web series, Joanne the Scammer, the title character used the word cancel for one of the first times I can see in pop culture. And in this case, it was the title character struggled to use an espresso machine, so declared the entire enterprise to be cancelled, which you can kind of see how that would be funny funny in that context. And Jason Richards, the writer of that episode, said to the New York Times, it speaks to a lifestyle of commodity consumerism and capitalism of transactions being cancelled. He said, it's a very transactional word. And for me, this is where my discomfort sits. The fact that it's pulled all of the human aspects out of interaction, that Mm -hmm. it is, everybody is a commodity that we can cancel as if they are a transaction like we're talking about. I think originally the concept was funny. To declare something cancelled, something, not someone, cancelled is funny. You can see the humour in that. But now we're talking about people and it reduces people to one thing or one action and to a commodity that can and should disappear. And that's terrifying to me. And the more terrifying thing as well is it's not just other people cancelling other people. This is sometimes media publications coming out and cancelling someone. And when it comes to things like Me Too and sexual assault and really important criminal acts, I totally get it. However, Nylon Magazine wrote about 18 months ago a full list of celebrities that they have supposedly cancelled, including Katy Perry, who, and this is a quote because she has, quote, proven to be so insufferable that she has earned herself a spot on this list. In what way, shape or form? I understand that Katy Perry may have said slightly controversial things in the past. I know that her I Kissed a Girl song was slightly controversial for the time. And I don't think she'd ever release a song like that in 2019 because cultural attitudes have changed. But saying someone is insufferable and therefore you're cancelling them is really fucking nasty. And it's really mean, particularly from a whole magazine, which has a lot of sway and a lot of power going against one person. I don't care if that one person is Katy Perry. That's really unfair. Well, a lot of it is unfair and a lot of it does lack context and nuance. When you said before, I think it's different when we're talking maybe Harvey Weinstein's or people that are convicted of crimes. I don't agree with that. I think there's a real sense of immaturity around the word cancel. And someone who is accused of the things that Harvey Weinstein is accused of should not be put down for being cancelled. Like, I think our language and our vocabulary needs to be a little bit more mature. Well, it's juvenile. It's completely juvenile. The word cancel to me feels too frivolous a word to consider actual alleged crimes. And I think there needs to be far more nuance to how we talk about people in the public eye fucking up. And I think we almost need to invent some kind of spectrum 
syndrome, tarring everyone with the same brush from the Harvey Weinsteins to the Katy Perrys as cancelled is completely unhelpful because not everybody is guilty of the same thing. Yeah, and I'm not even sure if we use that label for those people anyway, to be honest, but I do agree with you. What I noticed when I was looking up the lists of people who have been cancelled, and I wonder if this is reaching for something that doesn't exist and if I'm reading too much into it, but when I was looking at the list of people who are supposedly been cancelled over the last couple of years, Taylor Swift came up, Katy Perry, James Charles, Jeffree Star, a lot of beauty influencers on YouTube, uh, Lana Del Rey. Mostly, if not all of the names that I came across were either women's or gay men's. I did not come across many straight men who had been cancelled. And it brought me to this really fascinating piece in Junkie. It was terrific, written by Jackson Langford. I liked this story. And he looked at the comparison between how he cancelled Iggy Azalea because she did write a slew of racist tweets. She said a lot of homophobic things. She fucked up basically numerous times. And I think she definitely should have been called out for that. However, if you want to compare Iggy Azalea as a white rapper compared to Eminem as a white rapper, Eminem continues to say really offensive things, including and not limited to threatening to rape Iggy Azalea in a song. He also threatened to hit Lana Del Rey. We continue to show up for Eminem. We have never cancelled Eminem. But when it's a woman who does it or a gay man who does it, we somehow use that one action or those few missteps to tar them as a whole person. I don't think that's reaching too much because I do think it speaks to how if a woman fucks up once, she's done forever. Whereas a man, we almost always give the benefit of the doubt or extra chances to. No one's cancelling Wayne Carey. I was just about to say, he's on his seventh chance right now and on primetime television. My favourite line from that junkie story from Jackson Langford was about council culture obviously and he said it is rife with inconsistencies with most of us engaging in selective cancellation and disregarding the fact that celebrities at a base level are human like the rest of us cancel culture doesn't allow for growth despite all of us continuing to grow until we die it's like the minute you put a foot wrong will never allow you back in or to grow or to learn from that and I think if we live in a culture or a world or a society where every time you fuck up you're out of the club then we're going to end up with a very tiny very unhelpful club of people who are trying to do good. And this is the tricky thing, right? Because I lot of I think a lot of the people saying, oh, you're cancelled are incredibly progressive, like very, very left-leaning, very socially conscious. And it's almost like if you aren't at the level that they're at for one comment, one tweet, one quote, you are cancelled forever. I do think as well that cancel culture is so tied in with groupthink in that as humans, we often bond over things that we mutually don't like. If you don't like the same person, it's like a bonding exercise. Well, how many memes are there around about that? Exactly. Exactly. It really ties into that feeling that if you don't like the same person or if you don't like the same thing, you are suddenly best friends. We so like to be anti-stuff and it makes the internet such a volatile, gross place sometimes because we're constantly defining ourselves by what we are not and what we don't associate with. And while that's fine, if you don't associate with a human being, you don't need to then tell them that they're cancelled. It's the language, like I said before, that gets me the most. Just to bring another perspective in here, right, Shamira Ibrahim wrote for Broadly in defence of cancel culture. And she wrote, it's inevitable that redemption will happen for the cancelled, but in the space before the comeback, the best tool remains for the court of public opinion to demand apologies and utilise social media for accountability to set a rubric for engagement for the future people in entertainment who do care about the communities that consume their content. 
So she's essentially talking about how we need to give these people that space between cancel and come back to learn from their mistakes. What bothers me about that, and maybe this is me getting bogged down in semantics, but I do feel like there's a difference between demanding someone is cancelled and holding someone to account. And I don't like the use of the word cancel, but I do support the idea of holding someone to account. And I think there's a difference in how you go about those things, our language, our tone, our sense of empathy. And I think we can get the best out of people if we hold to account with empathy rather than declare them cancelled. I would also argue that that line of thinking just encourages famous people and online celebrities to just apologise and hope it all gets better. I think we've really experienced a few people coming out with very fake, insincere apologies in the last 12 months and you can see right through it. I think if you genuinely want people to change and you genuinely want people to see your point of view, using this type of terminology is inexcusable to me. It's not productive. It's not helpful. And I think we definitely also need to bring in things like Estee Laundry into this conversation because Estee Laundry, for those who aren't across it, is an anonymous beauty collective run on Instagram. It's like the Diet Prada of the beauty industry. It is. And if you don't know Diet Prada, same (laughs) idea, a bunch of anonymous people running well, an account. Diet Prada, not so anonymous now, but it was, it essentially started the same way where they wanted to call out copycat culture, both in the beauty and fashion industry and cultural appropriation, which was a conversation completely lacking in yep. both of these industries. And Estee Laundry as well is kind of like the unofficial beauty industry watchdog. Yep. And they've got about 70,000 followers. And from what I've heard, at least one or two people or some of the people involved in this anonymous collective are from Australia, are from Sydney or Melbourne. Now, first of all, I think Estee Laundry has done some really amazing, incredible stuff. I think they absolutely have a place in the industry. It's really important that we push brands to be more diverse. It's important that we educate the public about cultural appropriation. It's something that you and I, Zara, are constantly trying to learn more about and understand more about as white women because it's our basically our duty to. I do think, though that Estee Laundry has deviated from what their main purpose and main goal was in that they've definitely subscribed to cancel culture and therefore they are damning of any brand that dare set a foot or a toe or a toenail across the line. Well, it really stuck out to me in an interview that Estee Laundry did with The Guardian where they said brand founders were bullying customers on social media, brands were knocking each other off, there was no diversity and sustainability was completely ignored by most brands. So this is a crucial watchdog um, that needed to exist. I agree with you though in that there is such a fine line between call-out culture and cancel culture and I think our call-out culture needs to be kinder and I do think commentary on Estee Laundry's page has begun to question whether we've actually or they have actually um, crossed the line into cancel culture. One comment that really stuck out for me was, we're not here for the tea or for cancelling brands. We're here to have constructive conversations and push brands to do better, not to hate, but to learn and hold accountable. This is not a drama account. And I think people were starting to feel that it was there for the drama and not for for the public service almost. That's what bothers me the most in that people want a dialogue about accountability and we will always fight as hard as we possibly can for a dialogue about accountability, whether it's influencers or brands or politicians or whoever, people need to be held to account. 
we don't want cancelling. We don't want nastiness. We don't want snarkiness or sassiness around this. Like we keep saying, I think what's missing in our in our conversations about accountability is compassion and yeah. understanding that people and brands are fallible. And in order to create change and push change, unfortunately, we need to be pragmatic and sort of be a slow, walk as slow as our slowest walker. Is that the saying? Yeah, absolutely. I think as well, like they have done great things. I think one thing that stands out in my mind that the call out culture has really benefited is shade range totally. in foundation lines. I know that we were actually only, only talking about this last night, Zara, in that Tarte, one of the major makeup companies in the world, released a shade range last year. I think it was the Shape Tape Foundation. And there was one single deep tone for women with dark skin. And they were, of course, called out. And I think that was incredible because we do need change. Brands like Tarte need to be more diverse, as do brands like Beauty Blender, who made the same mistake with their foundation line. However, where I see Estee Laundry now going, and they had this post up during the week, they really came for US brand Glossier, which we both love. We love Emily Weiss behind that. And she is very progressive. And Glossier as a brand really tries to push their their awareness, I guess, about really important social issues. They said on Estee Laundry that US brand Glossier was mocking their own customers by calling their latest eye cream bubble wrap. Estee Laundry argued that they were mocking customers who complained about unsustainable packaging over the last two or so months. They then, quote, said, sad to see Glossier go from one of the coolest brands to the most hashtag tone deaf brands with no respect for its loyal fans and customers. There was no benefit of the doubt. There was no research. The likelihood here was that Glossier has probably had this product in production for about a year. This name, Bubble Wrap, probably was printed on bottles months and months and months ago. I don't think it would be a smart business decision for Emily Weiss to come out and openly mock her customers with a name on a product. In what world is that going to be their aim? And in what world is that a legitimate story? I don't think it is. I think what they did here was they came up with an angle that's clearly dramatic and clearly going to get reactions and clearly going to spark a bit of outrage without, I don't even think from this post that they even went to Glossier and tried to get to the bottom of what the truth Truth was. And here's the crazy thing, because I actually really respect the foundation of what Estee Laundry is. I've really loved the content that they put out. I think they've done so, so, so much good. My fear even now talking with you now, Zara, about this, I'm scared that they're going to call us out. Like I'm actually terrified of that when clearly our intentions are just to have productive dialogue. I just want to talk about this and see if it's going down the right direction because I do fear that it's going down the wrong one. And there's so much good to be done with the following that they have and the intentions that they have. It's just a matter of pivoting back to what the origins are and were. Agree. The more that I think about cancel culture existing on the internet is the comparison to journalism, right? I think journalism exists and has always existed to hold people to account, to to, to talk truth to power. And a lot of that responsibility now is moving online and it's moving out online to this call out culture, which is great. But the fundamental and core ethics and principles of journalism are lost in the process, which is actually getting to the bottom of the story by asking someone for comment, for getting both sides of the story and then presenting them together. And I know some people will be rolling their eyes and thinking, well, when does the media ever give two sides of the story? Those are the fundamental principles of journalism, which are being lost when we have people who are gaining huge followings because they are aggressively calling people out. Mm -hmm. We need to be lifting people up too that are doing good. And the more I was 
reading about cancel culture and the more I sort of was stewing on it this week. I've been thinking a lot about the word empowerment. We've been talking about empowerment for a very long time. Whenever we talk about feminism, the word empowerment is always there. How how to empower each other, women supporting women. Empowerment is such a fucking buzzword in 2019, but it's like none of us are practicing what we preach because if we are practicing empowerment, We need to encourage it online. We need to encourage people to feel empowered, to speak their minds and to wonder whether they're right, to wonder if they're being stupid, to want to learn more. We're not actually empowering anybody online because everybody feels too sad and scared to say anything. And I think we're doing ourselves a disservice by using the word empowerment, but not actually practicing anything about it. I absolutely agree. I think you put that really well. I'd also say, what are we really doing? What are we trying to achieve? If you're calling out a brand or celebrity for something that you don't agree with, why? Ask yourself why. Are you legitimately pushing for change? And if so, amazing. But I'd also suggest go lightly. Be polite. At the very, very least, be kind to the people that you're calling out because everyone deserves respect. Or is it a chance that you might be thriving off the gotcha moment? And if you're purely thriving off a gotcha moment and a bit of drama, I think you need to check yourself because I don't think your intentions are in the right place. I think we really need to make sure that we're all pushing for progression, not drama and tea spilling. I do want to check my privilege very quickly here and maybe acknowledge one of our blind spots in that as two white women talking about progression and moving conversations forward, it's one thing, but it's another entirely to be maybe at the mercy of someone who is being incredibly racist or homophobic. And then we're asking of other people to be respectful and kind in having those conversations because sometimes you're completely blinded by emotion and rage and that's not possible. Um, so I think that's an important point to note in that it's we like it's not always possible to be kind and empathetic when someone's made you angry and someone's sort of um, taken the piss out of you or discriminated against you. But I think generally when we're having general conversations about calling out a random celebrity for something that they've done, which is maybe James Charles um, talking about an ex-boyfriend, that's when it goes too far. Well, I think as well here, I think there's two different stories we're talking about. If there's ambiguity with what you're about to pull out, just try to get to the bottom of it. Try to look at how something happened, all sides of the story, give the benefit of the doubt. If someone comes out and says a homophobic, racist, transphobic slur, of course call them out. Do that. You have every right to do that. I'm just saying when there's gray area and you're not actually sure what they're trying to say, try to find out before you jump down their throat. Because I don't think, like we keep saying, we're going to get – I just don't think we're going to get anywhere if everybody feels too scared to say what they think online now. Absolutely. Model Halima Aiden made history last week by becoming the first Muslim woman to wear a hijab and burkini in the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. But it was a move that some people admonished, with one prolific Australian journalist writing, I find it difficult to support a religious system that has different rules for men and women. Zara, what was your immediate reaction to these photos of Halima? Pretty simple, that I liked the photos. I liked the image. I liked what it represented. Um, I liked her quotes around it. I liked how happy that she was to be involved. I liked it all. Uh, what was your initial reaction? Well, totally. I put it up on our Instagram page. As soon as I saw it, I took a screenshot from Twitter, put it on our Instagram because I genuinely loved the photos. And I think the more diversity that we have in these types of magazines like Sports Illustrated, the better. I don't think it's very complicated. I think this is actually pretty darn simple. A bit of context. So so Halima Aiden is a 21-year-old former Miss USA contestant who is Somalian-American who immigrated to the US as a child from a United Nations refugee camp in Kenya. So there's a really important story here. 
not least because she's wearing a burkini in Sports Illustrated, but also because there's a story from her as well. I was surprised that it didn't take very long. And maybe that's me showing my complete naivety about the internet, even at 24. But I was surprised that people were still projecting some sort of faux concern on whether she was hashtag empowered enough to wear that, whether it was her choice and all of the rest of it. Which is just baffling to me. I think it does say a lot about how widespread Islamophobia, even on an unconscious level, permeates through Australian society. I think it's kind of crazy to me that anyone would look at these photos and think that we have some kind of issue here other than the issue that we don't see enough women in burkinis and hijabs in the pages of our magazine. I actually went and did a little bit of research into Islam as a religion because I didn't actually know these facts that a quarter of the people in the world are Muslim. It is the second biggest religion. It is the fastest growing major religion in the world. And I find it so friggin' peculiar that so many white people comment on the supposed sexism of Islam without any experience with Islam and without doing any research in a university or a formally recognized institution into the religion. It is reducing hundreds and thousands of years to a little soundbite apparently about what you know from watching what Channel 7 and Channel 9 news about Muslims. Well, it so comes down to this idea that not every opinion is worth the same amount in every conversation. The irony here for me is that Halima is being told in some cases that this could glorify oppression, right? And uh, those comments are never, ever thrown at women in bikinis, right? But the idea that they could be equally as oppressed isn't really on our radar, but it is essentially exactly the same idea. No one looks at the women in bikinis on Sports Illustrated and thinks, was that their choice? Are they okay? Because it is exactly the same concept. Women wear burkinis or bikinis because depending on the culture, that's what we deem most attractive and beautiful. It's just that we overwhelmingly decide to criticize one and not the other and have this faux concern about one and not the other. It's also incredible in a really terrible way that we presume that everyone who is Muslim is a fundamentalist or an extremist. You don't have to be oppressed because you're in the second biggest religion in the world. There is there are shades of gray in every religion, every society, every culture. Just because a woman is wearing a hijab on the cover of a magazine does not mean she's oppressed. It's also stripping Halima of all her agency and picking out a story that's really bloody positive, really impressive, really great for diversity and championing different people in society and picking this just ridiculous narrative, almost a white savior narrative that we need Need to be concerned about the woman in a headscarf. I do want to take a moment right now, and this might take a little bit, but I do think it's important and worth it to bring in another perspective here. One of our um, favorite Facebook group commenters, Julia Thomas, who is huge in the Facebook group. I feel like anyone in the Facebook group has seen Julia's name pop up. Yes. And when this conversation was taking place, she posted a really long and very popular post in the group. And what we're going to do today is we've asked Julia to record that post so that you can all hear her read it out and hear her thoughts on this too. There was a post earlier tonight about a journalist who had a few thoughts surrounding Halima posing on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I was in the middle of having dinner with a friend, but my initial thoughts and reactions had my mind floating elsewhere. I decided to put my phone down and not let the outrage overtake me. This is the beauty of giving yourself a bit of time before reacting. I calmed down and I decided to reply to that post on my own terms. This journalist seems to think an American model posing for an American magazine to a mainly Western audience has something to do with the oppression faced by Muslim women worldwide, or as some people like to say, third world countries, as if we're in third place in this race called life, with the Western countries taking the lead. I won't be addressing the blatant Islamophobia, 
I don't care how this journalist dressed up their white saviour narrative with concern for us Muslim women. It's not worth my emotional resources to give it any more energy. As my beloved prophet said, Islam began as something strange and will revert to being strange as it began. So give glad tidings to the strangers. This is where my heart finds its sanctuary when I'm drowning in the controversy that seems to always surround my religion. Will always be looked at as strange. When it comes down to it, I really don't mind. I take pride in not conforming to the unattainable Western standards of beauty. I take pride in my traditions, in all its eccentricities. When I feel suffocated by everything women have to live up to in this Western world in which I reside, I find comfort in knowing I have an internal immunity to it all. It gives me power knowing my body is not subjected to the confinements of anyone else's standards and judgments. It gives me power knowing that as a woman, the status of the mother in Islam outranks the status of the father. It gives me power knowing one of the greatest scholars in our religious history was a woman, Aisha, the Prophet's wife, peace be upon her. It gives me power that the oldest running university was founded by a Muslim woman, Al-Qarawiyin Mosque in Morocco, founded 859 CE. Hell, it gives me power that if a woman is dissatisfied with her sex life in a marriage, it's legal and legitimate grounds for divorce. If all you've learned about Islam is through Western media, the truth is you're learning about a religion through a patriarchal lens. That's the true oppression, if you ask me. All the power to Halima for her work in our representation. If you don't know any Muslim women, do yourself a favour and get to know some, because we are some of the most badass women you'll ever meet. I actually could not enjoy that more. Yeah. I think she is such a fantastic writer and I'm so bloody glad that Julia is in our Facebook group writing things and educating us on little facts. I did not know that about the oldest university founded by a Muslim woman in the world. I think things like that are so incredible. And I think as well, it's important to have Halima's voice here. She did say in an interview with Sports Illustrated, growing up in the States, I never really felt represented because I could never flick through a magazine and see a girl wearing a hijab. To me, what's wrong with just representing society as it is why would we ever take this photo and say this is some hallmark of oppression and that muslim women don't deserve a spot in the pages of sports illustrated the more representation the better i want to take this conversation one step further before we finish and i want to talk about sports illustrated and the sports illustrated's history because sports illustrated swimsuit editor mj day said i admire halima and i consider her an inspirational human for what she has decided to use her platform for besides we believe beauty knows no boundaries which is a nice quote but i don't think we can celebrate something like this blindly. Like we can celebrate the photo and Halima being involved and all of that, but I don't think we can celebrate Sports Illustrated blindly without recognising that you can't make one good decision and that kind of undo a whole, you know, decade's worth of shitty decisions. I disagree with that. I don't think it's one good decision. I think Sports Illustrated, if you look into it, has made a few really good decisions over the last 12 months in particular. Yeah, no, but I'm talking more about the kind of the issues that they've created over the years. And I do think that a couple of good decisions need to be looked at in a couple of different lenses. First and foremost, it's good fucking marketing 
for them. Like I don't think we can be blind and blindly um, almost sycophantic with Sports Illustrated saying, look at all the good that they're doing when we have to be smarter and more critical than that. I mean, we have to look at the fact, as the New Yorker writer Alexander Schwartz wrote in a column last year, back in the day, it was reliable masturbation fodder, a late winter gift to the flesh-starved straight male gaze. And for, for decades, that's what the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition has existed as. And that's fine, but I don't think we can say they're doing all of this good for the world when they haven't always this... When, when they have say that, though? Well, there's a lot of blind sort of celebration for this. I see a lot well. of celebration for Halima and for Muslim women. I don't think that Sports I think I'm separating the two, though. I think I that's think Sports Illustrated is doing anything marvellous. Like, I think that's, that... But that's an important point to make is all I'm trying to say. No, I know. But I think also we want brands like Sports Illustrated to be progressive, right? I do think yeah. they deserve a bit of a pat on the back for this. I think they deserve a pat on the back for the body diversity that they've shown in the last 12 months too. Do I think they're saving the world? No. However, I will always cheer a publication making decisions that are better for women and better for diversity in general. And I think they are doing a good job. I think they didn't handle Me Too in the best way and that they didn't really say anything about it. This, though, and over the last 12 months, they have made strides towards progression and where they need to be. So I don't I don't see anyone being sycophantic about Sports Illustrated. I, just think, I really don't. I just think it's a cautious pat on the back because like we've said in the last conversation, like we need to have space to celebrate people who are trying to do good. But in saying that, on the other hand, we also need to be very careful that we've got a critical eye when we're looking at yeah. why brands are doing what they're doing. Monica Hess for the Washington Post said something really interesting to me that really got me thinking, which was it's all part of a larger question. When you're organization's bread and butter is based on ogling scantily clad women how do you change course or do you even at all is it possible to become part of the solution while still hanging on to part of you that's a problem that to me kind of amplifies or really shines a light on the huge cognitive dissonance that's at play here knowing that someone's doing good but why are they doing good regardless that is more of an aside point the the most important point here is the fact that Generally, we should be celebrating Halima's, you know, inclusion in the magazine. Absolutely. And also, don't proselytize to a Muslim woman about her own religion. It's very arrogant and it's really not necessary. Unless you've studied Islam for decades, I don't think you have any right to go to a Muslim woman and tell her what her religion means when she's the one living it. I think that's all we've got time for. It is. Guys, we bloody love you. Thank you so much for supporting us in our show. We've been really high on the charts lately, and every time we check, it's like a little pat on the back to us, and we're really, really thankful for all of you guys getting behind us. For those who missed it, the way to help us out in those charts and help other people find us is to actually click subscribe if you're on Apple iTunes, or if you're on Spotify, click follow at the very top of your feed yeah either of those would be great otherwise we are on instagram at shameless podcast or our facebook group is shameless podcast community we will be back in your ears on thursday with another in conversation yay i can't wait already bye guys Oh, hi, it's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week. Now, every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to... To our show, please do head to your favorite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.